Welcome in to the OMR podcast. My name is Scott Peterson and I am a digital marketing editor at OMR. My guest today is founder and CEO of InsureTech startup GetSafe, Christian Wiens. Now, GetSafe is an upstart insurance startup based in Heidelberg, Germany that is disrupting the insurance game. Christian and I discuss the genesis of GetSafe, how his background in mechanical engineering has helped him as an entrepreneur, as well as the challenges GetSafe has faced disrupting an industry dominated by incumbents. A little spoiler, the police got involved on several occasions. We talked about that and a whole lot more in the Omar podcast right now. Christian, thank you very much for joining me. You're the founder and CEO of GetSafe. Um, I mentioned it in the intro, a little bit about what GetSafe is and what GetSafe does, but I think a good place to start would be getting your take, your little mini pitch on what GetSafe is. Sure. Awesome for being here, first of all. Um, so GetSafe is an insurance company, which sounds a little bit boring, but now comes kind of the interesting part because we use technology to make buying insurance way faster way more comfortable and intuitive, but mainly also owning insurance over your lifetime because your life changes and you need more stuff, really less bureaucratic, faster, more affordable um, to cover all the things that you care about or the people you care about in your life. And we do that by using our app as kind of the central element of our proposition. Mm -hmm. So you're primary, uh, primarily mobile. Um Maybe just to put a little bit more context on GetSafe, uh, how big are you? Uh, do you want to maybe provide anything in terms of revenue? Yeah, good question. But unfortunately, you know that with VC-funded companies, sure. we don't kind of disclose revenue numbers. I can share some other interesting numbers that I think are also more important to see kind of Absolutely. How, how, how our traction is. And uh, one is definitely customers. So we... We are more than 150,000 active customers, most of them in Germany, um, mm -hmm. a few portion in the UK where we're also live. And what's interesting is that this kind of customers um, account to around a 10% market share in insurance within the millennial demographic or segment means that of all the people buying insurance for the first time in their 20s normally, when they start the first job and so we have approximately a 10% market share and are significantly beating big insurance giants like Allianz, AXA, and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how, how big of a staff do you have? We're close to 130 people. Um, and again, both we have an office in, in Germany, in Heidelberg, and uh -huh. uh, one small one in office uh, in London. Okay. Um, so just out of curiosity, uh, why, why Heidelberg? Uh, not Hamburg or Berlin? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So the story is that I'm originally from here. Mm -hmm. It's a very beautiful city, by, by the way. And my co-founder and I studied in the region. So we believe that we have the best tech universities um, here in the region. They're called Karlsruhe, Stuttgart, Darmstadt. Uh, we have the University of Mannheim for business. So um, a little bit, I would say a little bit like California has very good tech universities, uh, in the U S. Um, and, um, and we always believe that we need tech talent, um, that is also loyal, um, without, without too much fluctuation in the team, which is something that happens all the time in Berlin. And that's why we decided to build the company here and not be in Berlin. Side note, 
I had my first startup that I started out of university, and that was partly based in Berlin. So I had that experience as well and kind of was a conscious decision. Okay. Um, yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought up uh, the universities and stuff and your uh, background because I wanted to get to that next. Um, your background is, uh, you're an entrepreneur now, but your background is more on the engineering side, the technical side, at least according to your LinkedIn page. You studied at a couple of the technical universities, the TEUs in Germany, as well as the Politecnico in Torino. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, right. Uh, which Forza Toro, uh, <laughs> a lovely city. Um, and you wrote your master's thesis for BASF in London. So yeah, southwestern Germany. I also studied in the region. It is beautiful, um, but that is a, at least on the surface, it's a pretty big jump from being an engineer to to being an entrepreneur. How did how did that come to come to pass? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the entrepreneur was always inside me because I I started my first company when I was 14 together with my brother and it was a musical school because we hated kind of the, we did a lot of music I played okay. guitar a lot or almost at a professional level my, my brother saxophone and drums and we we kind of didn't like the public music schools so mm -hmm. we started our own one where we as students kind of taught other students to play play jazz and like modern music um and and that went pretty well we also had a website and that kind of stuff but it wasn't a digital it was still an offline uh, offline business sure. and then i did started mechanical engineering and i think i i see a pretty clear connection also to why i jumped into the insurance industry Mm -hmm. um, and wanted to be an entrepreneur is because what you learn as a mechanical engineer or in all engineering uh, faculties is solving big complex problems, right? And I think I have really a passion. I get really motivated. If the the bigger the problem, the more unsolvable it seems, the more I'm excited to find the path or the way, um, yeah, or the calculation to solve it. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, the, the, I, I totally get that uh, with the, if you're going to be a mechanical engineer, um, it seems like you know, meshing, finding a niche for insurance in the digital sphere probably pales in comparison uh, as far as complexity is concerned. Um, that is that is definitely fascinating. You can approach the problem with completely uh, new, fresh eyes, so to speak. Um, but so now we can maybe pivot back towards GetSafe. How did, how did that start? What was the genesis of GetSafe? Yeah, uh, the the uh, it was a personal story and with insurance was mm -hmm. essentially my first encounter with the insurance industry. And essentially, it was when I or after I graduated from from university, um, right after my master thesis, I was just I was working on my first startup. It was called Gourmet.com. Was something like open table restaurant mm -hmm. reservations, but in Europe. And um, I didn't have any insurance on my own. I didn't. I wasn't at all educated around insurance. But I had my first kind of damage or claim when I when I broke a pretty big double glass door that belonged to my landlord where, that, where I lived. Okay. Um, was a mishap, and uh, yeah, kind of this this. It was a pretty pretty expensive custom built glass door. Um, and the first thing I did is going to my parents uh, because I was convinced they must have insurance for me. And uh, what they did then is kind of they opened up um, a shelf full of, I think, more than 15 folders with at least a few thousands 
of pages of paper. They uh -huh. piled up over the years and, and try to find out if I'm still covered and which kind of returns should cover this kind of damage. To cut the story short, I wasn't covered with them anymore because I had graduated. Um, I didn't know that I needed to buy. That was a, li a liability, private liability claim because it cost something to a third party. That's a very German product, but I think sure. it's it's kind of something that also in the US and the UK exists, but is packaged in other insurance products. And so I had to pay for this damage on my own. And that was a pretty pivotal moment where I understood that insurance is important and that we need to, or I needed, needed to build another solution because otherwise people wouldn't, like me, would end up like my parents with thousands of pages of paper, paying a lot of money for insurance every year or every month, but without any overview. Um, and that was the moment where I got intrigued and then looked into the industry a bit more and saw how big the problem is and the opportunity as well. Uh, you, when you, you mentioned pulling the dusty old folders off your parents' shelves, uh, that's definitely the, the picture I have of insurance, which is a, a, a vast sector that's been established for decades and hundreds of years that's very resistant to change, populated by incumbents, um, built upon brokers, agents, call centers, and direct person-to-person -person contact. Um, that seems like a very daunting task to, to completely try to disrupt. Um, how did, what was the first step? Was it defining the value proposition? Um, was it developing a solution that was easy to use? Where did it go from there, from the inspiration to, to actually implementing the inspiration? Yes, as, as, many, as many entrepreneurs, we started with a feature, not with a full solution. And we didn't start by building a full insurance company. We always had that in mind. But what we started with is that we initially, because we, also, we wanted to also self-fund the company in the beginning and be capital efficient, mm -hmm. we started to solve my parents' problem. So we said, hey, let's start by helping people... Um, let's say 40 plus that have piled up a lot of insurance already and are managing it in a pretty old fashioned way and are not satisfied by not having an overview, not having transparency, not having a single point of contact where you have all your documents organized. So we started by building a feature where people could, yeah, simply sign up Um uh, we were acting as a broker there and uh, sign up and give us a kind of a power of attorney, it's called. And we could go to the insurance carriers then and ask them to send us all the documents related to that customer that signed up. And we would then organize all these documents in, 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 the, in our app and provide it to the customer. So they now had a digital insurance folder and a single point of contact. And that was kind of the first problem we wanted to solve, again, because it was capital efficient. Mm -hmm. It was a concrete problem that my parents, but all their friends also had. But this was kind of the first step where we wanted to also learn what customers really have as problems, but mainly also wasn't what are the problems on the insurance side, because we were totally new to the industry of insurance. And I think it paid off to to take this step by launching this feature. Today, of course, we are an insurance company sure. building our own product. So it has pivoted a lot, but that was how we got started. 
Um, did you um, so as you were aggregating um, the the information, uh, getting power of attorney from clients, um, and then approaching the incumbents, the insurance agencies directly? Did you get any pushback from them? Were they were they open? What was that relationship like? I can imagine that they might have felt threatened. Definitely, we were we were the enfant terrible of yeah. the of the uh, insurance industry. We got. I think at least four visits of police officers that were investigating because really? they thought that we yeah that we used some tricks and they didn't understand how we could use digital signatures and we we like customers or brokers or insurance companies thought we we faked the signatures of clients. So what everything we did was totally new to the industry and today if I talk to 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 board members of insurance companies they called this phase, and it was two, 2015, the, the wake-up call for them. So essentially, at the end of the day, they were pretty pretty happy that this happened, but it was a wake-up call because the insurance industry at that point in time, and it, to be honest, incumbents are still old-fashioned in their processes, but it was at least mm-hmm. a wake-up call. And yeah, we got a lot of pushback, but we navigated through it. We never saw it as a, as a problem or a show, showstopper for us. Um, yeah. Did you anticipate uh, the pushback? Uh, maybe not the the visits from the the police, um, but I'm a, I figured you. Yeah, sure. And I, I we also did some aggressive PR. We were in all okay. the big big business newspapers and industry media. Where we were a little bit smart and anticipating this is that we um, one of the first things we did is a friend of mine who's a lawyer. Um, he was still studying law at the time, by the way. But we hired him as a legal angel so we gave him some share of the company we didn't have any money to pay for for lawyers mm-hmm. anticipating that this business being an insurance would definitely include a lot of legal questions and disputes and that paid off a lot because he helped us a lot setting up all the frame agreements but also um handling all these disputes and, and problems and he's still our lawyer so it was, a, it was a good choice to have him on board early on. Best idea ever. So yeah. I can, like for all first-time entrepreneurs or so, if you're in a certain industry, like having a legal angel, as I call it, could be a really good idea. Okay. Um, so um, what? how would you define the value proposition then uh, now? Convenience, sure, um, everything uh, consolidated. Um, yeah, what, what's the value proposition in your words? It's it's all of the stuff you mentioned, of course. And what helps, I think, is to understand that InsurTech or insurance, yeah, digital insurance is way behind fintech. I would say around five years. It's it's significantly catching up in terms of valuations and funding. If you look around, like InsurTech startups are really gaining big valuations. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has a reason because mm-hmm. the business model of insurance is way better than the business model of banks because banks have limited sources of revenue, but insurance companies have steady premiums that people are paying for decades. Um, so for us, what was really beneficial to kind of also define in a value proposition was the trend of neobanks and neo lenders, um, which happened yeah, some years before what we did, um, and 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 I think the patterns that we see are very similar. It's convenience, 
it's mobile first, it's paperless processes, it's instant everything essentially where you yeah, can do transactions without a lot of hassle or bureaucracy. But it's also, and that's more important for insurance companies, um, transparency and trust. Um, if you buy an insurance policy, you buy something that you'll maybe need in the future, maybe not, hopefully not, mm-hmm. and you need to trust the company. So what's super important for us is reviews, public reviews. It's using a language where people really feel they understand what they're buying. And ultimately, of course, uh, it's also price. I think all the big big uh, propositions that we saw out there from the neobanks to the Ubers of the world, of course, have a price edge in their business model because they're significantly yeah, simplifying the value chain, mm-hmm. automizing a lot of stuff that is happening manually. And the insurance industry is is the worst in that kind of respect. So we have a lot of paper, mail involved. Every what I, when I like one of the shocking moments for me when I d- dived deeper in the insurance industry is to see that every transaction could be you wanting to change your address, filing a claim, having a questions goes through human hands, and that's why it takes so long. So still today, I have some insurance policies with other co- uh, companies that we're not covering yet, and I write them an email. And two weeks later, I get back uh, a paper mail, <laughs> uh, which sa- which says, "Thanks for for your email. We're we're kind of working on it." And that's kind of how insurance still works. So you write them an email, and then you you get a the actual physical email sent to you via the old channels two weeks later. Yeah, uh, could uh, could use a little bit of modernization, little ripe for disruption. Um, so what uh, what were some of the challenges of reaching a, a digital audience with a perceived non-digital product um, to, at the beginning? Um, even if they're you know, first-time insurance users, I imagine they still had it in their heads, probably just like you, that you know, what you do is you go ask mom and dad where, where they're covered. You pull off the, the old dusty folder and you go from there. Um, it's got to be a different journey now, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's, and that's why we're... Yeah, pretty specific about the customer we have in mind that we want to serve. It's people that usually 80% of our customers, even more, are buying insurance for the first time. Mm -hmm. They get into this life situation of adulting where they have to care about their own insurance. That's what I forgot to do back back in time Mm -hmm. uh, with my claim I talked about. So they essentially have other expectations. They are... I mentioned the the neobanks, right? They're they're used to do things in a certain way and they expect also insurance to be like this. So they have this expectation already and there's very few companies that can fulfill these expectations. And that's why we're growing so well in in the demographic of, within the demographic of millennials. Um, Of course, the biggest kind of threat and also competition for us is definitely parents at the end of the day because parents of yeah, young people that are starting their first job are the first source of information mm-hmm. uh, about these topics. And they usually have done insurance the old way. They're not happy about it, but they don't know the new way of doing insurance. And they usually recommend their children, yeah, a broker, an agent, any old-fashioned way to, to handle insurance. And so that's kind of the, the biggest hurdle and challenge for us is really um trying to somehow also reach <laughs> parents essentially um so that they recommend something like it's safe to their children 
Okay. Um, so that would influence also because your your primary audience is um, is millennials. That would influence then the customer acquisition channels, correct? Um, maybe it's Facebook or TikTok, probably not, but um, new modern channels, correct? Yeah, that, that's true. So we we do we do business um, and marketing, um, and and I would even so we use we use all the tactics of other brands that have emerged in the last decade, um, being it in travel, in fintech, and in other and e-commerce. So we're using all the tactics and apply them to insurance, and that has never been done. And that applies also to marketing, of course. So mm-hmm. we use, of course, all the yeah traditional online marketing channels from Google to Facebook. We also, you mentioned TikTok, we also try to use these channels, of course. Um, uh, the The one thing that is different is that instead of affiliate marketing, the biggest kind of affiliate channels in insurance are aggregators or mm-hmm. price comparison sites, which for us is a benefit because we have this structural price advantage. Again, our administrational costs are so much lower than the ones of a traditional insurance company that we have this price, price advantage and we can really win on these sites. Um, and that's why we're also heavily partnering with aggregators, being it in the UK and in Germany and in future markets as well as one significant channel. And that's different to other industries where you don't have these, these price comparison sites, at least not, not, not so much. Okay. Um, uh, so you're, you're looking at TikTok and the newer platforms as well. Um, are there, like, what is your main platform? Is, is it primarily Google and the, the, the aggregates, like you said, like the check 24s of the world um, in Germany and are there differences um, from market to market? Because I don't think Check24 is active in the UK. No, they're not. And that's also interesting. These price comparison sites are huge, multi-multi-billion dollar businesses. Um, but Check24 has not expanded. And same applies for most of the UK mm-hmm. aggregator sites. Um, no, it's different It's different brands that we partner with, but you have these players in every market. That's That's the point. And they work pretty similarly. So for us, it's something we can we can really scale. Um, and then, of course, we test everything else as any other company. And it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely less Google and way more Facebook and other social media uh, platforms because Google is the only digital marketing platform that incumbents are using as well. But they're not smart about it, and like customer acquisition costs and click costs are so so high for insurance. I think it's I, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I think the insurance industry is one of the main revenue drivers for Google uh, as well, and that's why we try to avoid that channel a little bit more. We use it for we use Google like the display network for retargeting, mm-hmm. but not for primary acquisition so much. Okay, uh, you mentioned um, the the little bit of the differences between the UK and the in the the German markets. Um, how does that uh, influence also the the insurance buying habits or consuming habits of your of your users? Is there are there clear cut differences between like popular plans in Germany and the UK? Um, things of that nature. There are differences, but. 
only on the surface because at the end of the day, people have the same needs of covering different yeah, sections of their life, right? Mm -hmm. Or life situations. And they're, and that's nice about insurance. They're the same everywhere, at least in every developed country. So it's everything around your home, your mobility can be car, bike, any other kind of transportation, traveling, but we kind of aggregate it under mobility. And then it's everything around your health um, and everything around life and planning and retirement planning, saving and so on, and, and family protection. So you always have the same categories and patterns, but the insurance products sometimes in different countries have different names or different kinds, how they're bundled. One yeah. example is, What's really big in Germany is private liability insurance. So that thing that I needed <laughs> when mm -hmm. I broke the glass door of my, right. my landlord. This protection also exists in the UK and the US and in France and every uh, in every other country, but it's bundled into home insurance or renters insurance or home contents insurance, all different names, meaning the same kind of protection. And so that's the only difference. So I always say um, insurance products, are 80% the same in every country. You have 20% localization or customization that you need. And talking about insurance buying habits, there you have also 20% differences because at the end of the day, you have aggregators in every country, you have brokers and agents in every country. And in some countries, you have banks that are strong in selling insurance traditionally. Um, the UK specifically, and that's the main reason why we went there, has a pretty interesting demographic of young people that have grown up with fintech in the last 10 years. So they're really used to do any kind of tr financial transactions online or on mobile. And that's appealing for us because the same didn't happen for insurance in the UK yet. Um, but we we believe it will happen the, in the next years. Um, and it's the, the biggest insurance market in Europe as well. So in terms of buying habits and behavior, there's, yeah, differences, um, of course, because some countries are a bit more digital, others a bit less. But generally speaking, the channels are always the same in insurance worldwide. Um, but what goes into then the decision-making process? Or what? Well, actually, it sounds like the decision-making process as far as which products to offer was relatively straightforward. It wasn't a lot of variation from country to country. But I imagine kind of like what you were alluding to, that the actual tangible implementation of, uh, of offering those products varies greatly, um, whether maybe in certain countries you need closer collaboration with uh, external providers or underwriters, TPAs, claims companies, et cetera. Um, is, that, is that the case? Am I right in thinking that? You, you are right. We are acting as a platform. That's the reason. Because we believe that You need these partners if you want to expand quickly. In fact, um, there's, I would say, there's very, very few direct-to-consumer retail insurance companies or startups, insurance startups, that did what GetSafe is doing. means significantly growing in two markets. There's a few that expanded or took first step into markets, but really significantly growing with a goal kind of or the perspective to become a millennial market leader uh, within the first 12, 24 months of being in a country mm -hmm. and also are stepped into multiple product categories. And the decision-making process for us is, is pretty simple, as you said. So we essentially grow with our customers and we also ask them what 
insurance they want to have next, but it's pretty pretty straightforward because life develops for people, for most people, life develops within similar patterns, I would say. So you have your first job, then you move in together, then you move in or out, new city, new apartment, then you marry, then you have children, then perhaps you buy a car or you can do that before, you buy a house, an apartment, you travel, you get a dog, you start saving for retirement because you have a bit more savings. So mm-hmm. it's always the same patterns and life situations you go through. And all these patter- life situations are connected to a certain kind of coverage we can sell. Um, and that's why it's pretty straightforward how we buy, build our product uh, range. And yes, we do that with different partners for different products in different markets. But the platform is always the same and the partners just have different names but they do the same thing. So it can be reinsurers, primary insurers that help us with underwriting, and TPAs like service agencies that help with claims handling or so, as you mentioned. Okay. Um, how? What about the, the pricing? Uh, how do you decide on uh, on the premiums? Is that, uh, you're, you mentioned that you are at a clear cost advantage compared to the competitors. Um, what, what went into that decision? Yeah, so we, um, that's a good question because we have, we, we, we believe we can change the fundamentals of how insurance is priced. Because today, if you go and look into an insurance company, you have actuaries that have statistics of the last 20, 30, 40 years, and they price insurance products like home insurance, for example, based on your address and date of birth. That's the two factors parameters they use if we look at somebody buying insurance with us we collect so many more data when are you buying the insurance how long does it take you to go to the funnel where do you take a step back in the funnel to read something through um are you using an iphone or an android phone all these kind of things um are factors that have a significant impact on what should be the fair personal price Um, that we want to give you. And uh, pricing is a function of many, many risk factors, but also positive factors, I would say. So how many claims or how much do we think will a customer cost the community in terms of claims in the next 10 years? How many additional products will this customer buy in the next 10 years? Um, How many people will this person maybe refer to get saved in the next 10 years. And we believe that for the first time ever, we can really do pretty accurate prediction based on totally new data sets mm-hmm. um, for defining that. And that's how pricing um, evolves. Um, we're not there yet, right? It's right. just the beginning of a, of a data revolution in insurance. Plus, of course, as you mentioned, we don't have all these administrative costs like paper mails, uh, like everything done by humans. We have 10 people in customer service on over 150,000 customers, which is a a, a very, very high efficiency quote for the insurance industry. Um, Which which plan is the most popular? Yeah, it's, it's, I would say, the renter's insurance product, uh, home insurance product, which in Germany includes liability insurance, again, as a standalone policy, but generally speaking, it's everything around um, 
general risk that you have in life to damage anything that you own or others own. Mm -hmm. um, so people tend to cover their bike, laptop, jewelry, precious stuff they own, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, and uh, and also get this basic coverage of liability, which covers you against anything you damage in your in your apartment of your that belongs to your landlord or to other people. Okay, and you. Uh, GetSafe primarily offers, or maybe only exclusively offers, month monthly insurance plans. Is that correct? As opposed that's to correct. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And uh, why why is that? Is it just is it the flexibility and the convenience? Maybe just because you can um, communicate to new first time users that the the commitment is much more flexible, a lot smaller commitment, and then banking on the fact that your product is going to convince them to stick around. Um, yeah, just fascinated me seeing that. Yeah, it's also new to insurance. And that's exactly what we want to do. We want to apply the patterns that we see or saw in other industries mm -hmm. to insurance, which is new. And um, we want to feel like that GetSafe feels like any other subscription that you have, not like a heavy long-term contract. I think for most people, if they think about insurance, they think like paper-based, complex, heavy, expensive long-term contracts. And that's exactly how GetSafe shouldn't feel for people and what we are not because you are super flexible. There's no paper involved. You can essentially, you have a subs monthly subscription. You can add as many coverage as you want on a monthly, on a daily basis, and you can cancel it on a daily basis. So you can adopt your coverage as you need it. You can also cover your bike only during summer month and uh, or your drone because you only fly it during summer holidays and you cover it only for these two months. So we offer this flexibility because we can, because we mm -hmm. build, have built the own backend on our own. Uh, with traditional insurance backend systems, it's not possible to do these things, but, but we can. And so we believe it doesn't, it doesn't cost us any, anything or any complexity because it's fully automated in the background. And that's why we believe from a customer's perspective, it's way better to have flexibility than not having it. All right. Well, um, you mentioned the customer perspective. I'd like to pick your mind a little bit about how GetSafe sees itself. Because on the surface, it, it, you're primarily a tech company, it would appear. Um, but being a tech company in an industry that's, you know, like we've mentioned, is averse to change, uh, there's additional challenges to overcome. So what... What, how, how does GetSafe see itself? Is it a tech company or is it an insurance company? It's That's simple, simple answer. Uh, it, we see ourselves as a tech company doing insurance and not okay. the other way around. It's pretty clear. Yeah. Um, and there's a clear separation in, in your mind between uh, the way the company is set up. Yeah, um, good point because we have seen some insure techs doing this big mistake of mixing both words up and we try to strictly separate them um, um, so because at the end of the day the company culture that we live must be tech right that's what we want to do. we want to apply also all the cultural learnings of, of companies in the last years uh, to to insurance and and in order to keep up speed and um, also become independent in our minds, but it also in our kind of uh, development speed and release cycle speed to become independent from the slowness of, of the insurance industry, the regulators, and so we really try to split that even in different entities. So we have an entity 
that does all the regulatory stuff mm-hmm. um, with the financial regulate regulators and so on, where we have also a lot of pretty experienced insurance people that come from other big insurance incumbents. And we have the core company. We have a group structure where the whole magic happens, I would say. I wouldn't say that the magic doesn't happen in the in the regulated part. It's super complex. Sure. It's heavy stuff, but that's how we think about and the culture, and, and that's how we built the company from day one. What would you say the biggest challenge for GetSafe all, uh, across all the aspects? What has the biggest challenge been so far for you? Putting you on the spot, I didn't mean to. Yeah, Sorry. no, no, no. It's it's no, it's a, it's a good question. Let me quickly think about it. But it's but it's having the patience because what you need to learn with insurance, we're right we're in this fast-paced world of digital companies growing quickly. Look at look at Clubhouse, for example. Sure. It's like so quick. But at the end of the day, one of the reasons why we wanted to build an insurance company is that you really have a very established and super lasting business model. So you can really, we are sure that we're building a lasting company Mm -hmm. Um, because we're building customer relationships that are here to stay, right? Uh, We are very, very kind of relationship, customer relationship oriented company that wants to build or sell products that people keep for the next 40, even 50 years. And that's huge. I mean, I don't know any tech company that really has a realistic chance and perspective to have such long customer relationships. And that's nothing, that's not a, that's not a bet or something we're guessing. That's really by nature how insurance works and makes sense. So we need to learn to be patient. Um, that we can grow as exponentially perhaps and quickly and crazy um, and virally as some other players, I would say, in tech. Mm-hmm. But um, on the other side, we have this super sticky, long-lasting and important business model. And if you know also, the, the do you know perhaps the, the Maslow pyramid of human needs? You have this hierarchy of human needs where the first most important thing is health but the second thing for, that is more, uh, second important for people is security and protection. So we're really in the second layer that of human needs. So we're, we're a proposition that, of course, people don't use every day, hopefully, mm-hmm. but it's really important in their hierarchy of needs. And I think all these factors make it worth to be patient, but you have to have so much patience. When you develop a product and insurance, you're so dependent from regulators, it takes months, and, but that's just, just how it is. Just comes with the territory. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you explaining uh, the Maslow hierarchy because you putting me on the spot there would not have gone well. Um, <laughs> okay. I'd heard of it, but yeah. Um, so um, before I let you get out of here, I wanted to to talk about uh, the future for uh, of GetSafe. You mentioned it a little bit. You see the prognosis, 40 years, um, uh, customers sticking around for that long. Um, and recently, GetSafe uh, acquired about $30 million in capital from seed funding, uh, I believe beginning of December. Was Series B, not seed. But okay, excuse would me. Would be Series- a nice seed round, the biggest one probably in, in Europe or ever, but no, it was Series B. Series B, okay, I apologize. Um, and that was, uh, it's presumably for expansion purposes, is that correct? Yeah, it's it's growth capital, growth capital. In, its, in its general sense. So, of course, also expansion. But you also must remember we're active in the two largest uh, insurance markets in Europe, which also on a global level are pretty big insurance markets. Like 
if you if you take the aggregation, like the UK and German insurance market combine are almost half a trillion dollars large. So it's 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 really huge. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of four to five time the global market for taxi or limousine services. Like the core market of Uber uh -huh. is like a fifth of the two markets we're active in right now in insurance. So it's it's so big um, that of course growing these markets is a big challenge. And it's and it's and it's remarkable, I think, that in such a short time we have for a new generation of customers, and that's kind of also the goal why we uh, raise money is for a certain generation of customers, we are becoming a household brand, right? Mm -hmm. Millennials tend to know us more than they know Allianz or AXA, all the big big insurers, um, in such a big market. So we are, we believe, and that's what we invest the money in for also in our brand. And so um, we believe that we can build a Chinese wall for all these insurance and companies because we're strong, so strong in this new generation of customers that of course at the beginning are just spending, I don't know, 50, 100 bucks on insurance per year, whether 25 or 27. But of course, until they, they'll be 40, they'll spend probably 2K per year, which is the average insurance spending uh, for, for European per, per, per year. And we have the great opportunity to kind of be their insurance provider of choice. And so that's why a lot of the money is invested in the two, these two core markets we're in. Mm -hmm. Plus, we'll definitely take next steps in our European expansion. But just wanted to kind of uh, get a sense of size of the market of insurance, which is tremendous. It's, yeah, it's, it's massive. Um, which, uh, are there any markets that, uh, that you've identified as ripe for disruption for the, uh, for the markets in Europe? Essentially, UK and Germany are definitely the biggest, but also the most developed insurance markets by far. Mm -hmm. I would also say that the German insurance market is probably the most competitive and most developed, even more than the US, which should make it way easier for us to expand into other markets where the proposition is even more special. Um, so I, I can't even pick one specifically. Everything okay. from Austria, Switzerland to Italy, Spain, France, of course, the Netherlands are are on our map and extremely interesting, but also Eastern Europe. So there's 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 no specific market where we see a big big difference they're all ripe for disruption and the good thing is that you have very very few insurtechs or players like us because it's hard it takes capital it takes patience um it's not a sexy product if you think about mm -hmm. it when starting a company so we don't have we have like in europe we have thousands of incumbents but just two handful of serious insurtech players and challengers and I think that's a that's a great kind of yeah perspective for the future. So almost made it through without mentioning the pandemic once, but I wanted to ask: Has there been a growth spike or a change in behavior as a as a result of the pandemic? Definitely yes. Um, for us, it has been positive because if you take the fact that still besides people perceive most people perceive, especially younger people don't perceive this but 90 percent of insurance is still sold through agents and brokers every everywhere in the world um the f the market share of digital insurance is, is still pretty 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 small um and 
in in with this pandemic specifically, of course, um, agents and brokers lose their USP, right? Of being mm-hmm. personal, going to the client, um, having an office. Um, and of course, our USP becomes more clear. And I think that for us, of course, it has been, yeah, a, a little growth driver, uh, the pandemic, not too significant, I would say 25% more than we, we expected. But for the insurance industry, again, it's a huge wake-up call because they understand that buying insurance online, not meeting customers in person, not having paper and any manual physical transactions is definitely something that will stick uh, and not disappear. Um, And I think that puts companies like ours in a huge competitive advantage because if the whole industry, and I I told you how big it is, is moving in this direction now, Mm -hmm. we are the pioneers of this direction and I think this will kind of value insure tax and digital insurance companies way more in the future. That's how I see the effect of the pandemic for us, like from a market perspective. So you become a, a brand that people are already uh, familiar with, that already trust, um, and then can build on that. That's exactly, and we yeah. be, we become uh, and we become a yeah again a pioneer, yeah, um, and a people and a company that also incumbents watch uh, and try to replicate. Uh, all right. Uh, one last question. Um, where does GetSafe go from here? What's your vision for the next 5, 10, 15 years? Um, you, it seems like you're pretty certain that uh, you're going to continue to have users, uh, the same users, user retention is going to be very high. But uh, you, what, what, is, what is your plans for, for GetSafe? Where do you see it going from here? Yeah, you mentioned the most important one. So I believe that all of our 150,000 plus customers will still be with us in, in 10 years from now and spend probably five to 10 times more with GetSafe every year because we are also developing our product product offering. We see so many signals, all the curves kind of, uh, also the churn curves, but also the cross-selling curves are going exactly in this direction. So we're pretty sure this will happen. Then of course, um, yeah, for us, Europe is 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 our marketplace. Um, the world is interesting, but Europe is, is big enough <laughs> as a next yeah. step. So we definitely try to accelerate our expansion. We have Swiss Re, one of the biggest reinsurers in the world as a, as a great partner and also investor and shareholder that is significantly helping us to, to accelerate that. And then, of course, it's, uh, it's also, um, although we as a company and organization have been pretty flexible and done homework and remote work before that, before the pandemic as well, I believe that there's um, a new kind of hybrid working culture that will develop. So we need to th- rethink the office. I just recently invested in a company that uh, a very young pre-seed startup that that does home office as a service that kind of offers employers to buy home office equipment for their their um yeah their workers and and this will all change so we 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 need to rethink how we can be performant but also build company cultures in a environment that is changing i think that's super exciting but also more let's say the internal change where we work on and where we also want to be a pioneer so that i think that's the three main things we are working on for the next 5 years well, fantastic stuff, uh, Christian. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I hope we can meet up sometime in the future, whether it's at an OMR festival or some other function once this pandemic stuff is blown over. All the best to you. 
Thank you, Scott. Was a great pleasure to speak. Buzz.